Indeed, that was holy ground that we were standing upon and singing such wonderful, wonderful songs of praise and worship to the Lord. I hope we all removed the sandals from our heart as we stood upon that holy ground. We're continuing in our study on the life of Moses. We have reached a very important point in the book of Exodus. Chapter 19 actually begins a third section in the book of Exodus, a short section, chapters 19 through 24. It has to do with covenant relationship. In chapter 18, in the Hebrew text of chapter 18, a particular Hebrew word is mentioned ten times. It's the Hebrew word for word or words in the plural. Once again in chapter 19, it's mentioned ten times. Chapter 19 and the first verse of chapter 20, which could be part of chapter 19. Remember, the chapter divisions are not inspired. Ten and ten, and then when we come to chapter 20, what do we have? We have the ten words, as they're referred to. We call them the Ten Commandments. God is leading up ten and ten. Ten times he speaks. Ten times he speaks, and then he begins the giving of the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, with those ten words of command. This is a pattern that would not have been lost on the Jewish people. He brought them out of bondage in Egypt to bring them to this mountain to begin a covenant relationship with them, a new covenant that they would be involved in, a conditional covenant where they would have to obey. And obedience is going to be a very strong part of the covenant. We would said before that God brought them out of the world Egypt was a picture of the world. He brought them out in a relatively short period of time, but then he would spend 40 years getting the world out of them. He brought them out of the world, and then he needed to get the world out of them. They had been taught in Egypt about gods. The gods of Egypt were gods whose character was expressed in the world, in the immorality and evils of the world. The world, with all its failings and faults, was an expression of the character of their gods. Their gods were highly sexual. And all the people of, Egypt, uh, of Israel learned in Egypt that all sorts of sexual perversion was a participation in the divine. They had learned that the gods could be deceptive and cruel and lie. That God, the gods of Egypt were not holy. God is going to give the Mosaic Covenant, starting with the Ten Commandments, to show them that he is nothing like the gods of Egypt. 
He's going to get that idea out of their minds, that lifestyle out of their hearts. He's going to get the world out of them, and it's going to take 40 years to do it. God began by revealing his name to Moses in Exodus 3. Who should I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Tell them I am. Yahweh, Yah has sent you to Israel and to Pharaoh in Egypt to bring the people out. The title of today's message is The Lord Wants You. This message, based on this passage of Scripture, is highly experiential. But the Christian experience is not simply an experience of emotion. It's not goosebumps. Sure, emotion and goosebumps might be involved, but that's not the center of the Christian experience. The Christian experience will involve those things at times, but there's so much more. The, notice what is not the title of this message. You are who the Lord wants. That's not the title. The focus, even though this is on the experience of Moses in this passage with the Lord and is a picture of the Christian experience with the Lord, the focus is not primarily on Moses or on you and I. The title brings out what the focus is. The Lord wants you. The Lord definitely wants a relationship with you, a meeting on the mountain, so to speak, similar to what he had with Moses. He wants with every child of God. The title is The Lord Wants You. What is this passage about? We see it very clearly repeated multiple times. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord wants you. He brought you to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ if you've trusted in Christ for salvation. He wants you to be his own possession. I'm going to have more to say about that when we come to that verse. And then he says, you shall be to me. The focus is on him and him bringing each child of God into relationship with him to be part of his family, more than just a possession, a son or daughter, an heir of the treasures and riches that are found in Jesus Christ. In this passage, the Lord is revealed as wanting to be in a, wanting to be in an obedient covenant relationship with you. And if you take only one thing away from this morning's message, please let it be this. The Lord is your covenant promise-keeping God who owns you and is the one you are to obey and worship. The idea of ownership, obedience, 
and worship of a holy God who keeps his covenant promises will be prominent in this message. These 25 verses really break down into five parts, and it alternates the Lord and Moses, Moses and the people, the Lord and Moses, Moses and the people, and then the Lord and Moses. We pay attention at Grace Gospel Church to the actual text of Scripture, and there are five parts here. The last part is pretty long, and it even breaks down into two different focuses. And so, if we were to look at it that way, there's actually six points. The last point, the Lord and Moses, is the Lord comes down to meet Moses, and then he engages in dialogue with Moses. And so we're going to look at it under six main points. The Lord wants a covenant relationship with you. The Lord wants you to recognize that obedience is the sign of the covenant relationship. The Lord wants you to know that he must be approached properly. The Lord wants you to be morally clean and holy. The Lord wants to meet with you. And the Lord wants you to understand more about him. That's the heart of the Christian experience, understanding more about him. The Lord wants a covenant relationship with you. Our first main point, understand this. The Lord wants that relationship. He wants to meet with you, but he will meet with each believer in Christ on his timing. Here it was very precise. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, now this could be the first day of the, of the third month, possibly. It may have been two months that have elapsed. They came into the wilderness of Sinai. This was his timing. This was his plan. It didn't occur in the second month. It didn't occur in the fourth month. It occurred in the third month, possibly on the very first day of that month. The Lord has a timetable. But know this, that his timetable involves meeting with you. The Lord will meet with you where he wants to. They came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain, Mount Sinai. Where did he meet them? He met them in the wilderness. Recall from our previous messages what this wilderness was like. It was a dry place. Water was scarce. Sometimes they lacked water, and the Lord God had to provide water for them out of a rock. The Lord had to provide food for them. The Lord cared for them. They were attacked by enemies, and the Lord defeated the enemies. This was a hostile environment. This was a place where you would not want to be. And this is the place where he meets them. The Lord can meet us anywhere. Brothers and sisters, never think that because you're going through a wilderness experience in your life, when there's trials and tribulations, circumstances, situations which are undesirable, which you have no desire to be part of your life that you want to escape from, the Lord can meet you there. He may bring us to this very place, this very wilderness experience in our life, so that we would not only experience a wilderness need, but that wilderness need 
would make us realize how much we need him and that we have a wilderness experience, not just with need, not just with trial, but with him. The Lord will meet with you so that you can hear his word. The word of God is always central in any experience with the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that only when you have the Bible open and you're reading it. But the word of God and the truths of God's word are always going to be central to any experience, any mountaintop experience that we have with God and Christ. It's never going to be apart from the truths of God's word. It's not going to be based upon lies. It's not going to be based upon error. It's not going to be based upon heresy. The truths of God's word are always going to be involved in any experience you have with God. You will find those truths somewhere in God's word. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, The Lord will meet with you so that you can hear his word. The word that Moses heard, he was then to relate to the people of God, to his fellow Israelites. This is the very first thing we read about when Moses went up to the mountain. We hear that God's words are going to be involved. First and foremost, we don't hear about anything else in, these, in this opening verse of Moses' experience of going up on the mountain. Brothers and sisters, I, I stress God's word all the time because the word of God stresses it. This was the point in Moses having an experience with God. God is not going to be known apart from his word. Not clearly and not in depth. We can only know certain invisible attributes of God, his power and his eternity from the things he's created. But the specific attributes and character of God are only going to be known through his word, not apart from his word, so the word is prominent. Meeting with the Lord is always a high point in the life of a believer. Even in the wilderness, this was a high point for Moses, that he would meet with God. The Lord says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how through the plagues and the death of the firstborn, they were allowed to go out, and then when they were pursued, how he parted the Red Sea, allowed the children of Israel to pass through, and then when Pharaoh and his armies followed, they were destroyed in the Red Sea. This is what he's referring to, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. He gave them victory. He lifted them up. Sure, they still trod, trotted for two months, possibly up to three months, through the sand, through the desert, in the heat of the sun, sometimes needing water, needing food. And the Lord provided, but he's giving them a picture of victory. He bore them on eagles' wings. And the purpose 
in the redemption out of Egypt was to bring the people of God to himself, to be in a covenant relationship with him. The Lord will meet you on obedient covenantal terms. He says, if indeed you, if indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. It's really repetition there. Obeying my voice is keeping his covenant. There's repetition. Truly, truly. When the Lord would say that, we know this is important. Here is repetition. Obey my voice and keep my covenant. There is no meeting with God, no mountaintop experience in the life of any believer in Christ, of any person who does not obey the voice of the Lord and does not keep his covenant. Only then you shall be my own possession. In John chapter 6, the Jews asked the Lord Jesus Christ, What may we do that we may work the works of God? And how did Christ reply? This is the very first work that anyone is required to do in order to be in a covenant relationship with God, in order to experience the reality and power of God and Christ in the life of an individual. How did Christ respond? This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. That's the first work. There's no other work you can do. He saved us not on the basis of works which we have done, Paul writes in Titus chapter 3. There is no salvation by works. He saved us according to his mercy, by grace through faith. That is the first work. You want to do the works of God You believe in the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. This is how you enter into the new covenant relationship with God and Christ. And then you shall be his own possession. That word possession, that Hebrew word, has the idea of purchasing something for oneself, for one's own use, And it can be translated as special treasure. You shall be my special treasure. Think about that. If you obey his voice, if you keep his covenant, and here for the believer in Christ, it's the new covenant in Christ's blood, you will be God's special treasure. Uh, This blows my mind that God would consider someone like me to be his special treasure. I get it that Christ would be his special treasure, but why me? Why? We sang it. Our brother Gilson sang it for us, the very first song, I am crucified with Christ. Christ is the one who lives in us. That's why we are his special treasure. The Lord promises to meet with you. You have this promise that if you obey his voice and keep his covenant, he promises that you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the sons of Israel. Look, 
This is an Old Testament truth. God wanted the entire nation, he says it right here, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And yet, even though three times they will say, all that the Lord says we will do, we're going to find just a few weeks later, five to six weeks later, what are they going to do? They are going to make a golden calf, reminiscent of the idols of Egypt. And they are going to worship that golden calf. They're not going to want to be a kingdom of priests. They are not going to obey the voice of the Lord. They're not going to keep his covenant. And instead, there's only going to be one tribe that will be priests. This is what God always intended. And in fact, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that the fulfillment of this, since Israel rejected this, the fulfillment of this is found in the Christian, is found in the church. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Speaking of Christians, quoting from this verse, a people for God's own possession, that special treasure. The believer in Christ is his special treasure. And why? Peter goes on to say, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The fulfillment of this is found in the church, the believers in Christ. God promises to meet with you, and that promise comes to its full fruition, its full completion in the church, in the believer in Christ. The Lord, you've seen that the Lord wants a covenant relationship with you, with you, and now he wants us all to recognize that obedience is the sign of that covenant relationship. The Lord wants you to recognize that obedience is not optional. Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord commanded. Not what he suggested. These were commands, not merely suggestions. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In chapter 24, they'll mention it twice more. All that the Lord has spoken, all that the Lord said, we will do. Obedience is not optional. We don't get the choice whether or not to obey the commands of God and Christ found in Scripture. Obedience is not merely a suggestion. I'd like to suggest, I think every true child of God, every believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ wants an experience, a vibrant, living experience with God and Christ. They want God and Christ to be real in their life. But so many lack it. I, I, I remember sitting down with a longtime believer 
a dear sister in the Lord. She really loved the Lord. She was quite evangelistic. She told everybody about the Lord. Her whole life was focused on the Lord. But like all of us, she had an area of her life that she really didn't gain victory over. And she was very much living in sin in that one area of her life that she just wouldn't give over to the Lord. And I remember her wanting counseling. And with tears in her eyes, she bemoans the fact that the Lord no longer seemed real to her. And she wondered, where did the Lord go? And it all had to do with disobedience in one area of her life. We cannot have that close, real, vibrant experience with God in Christ when there is sin, when there is disobedience. Obedience is not optional. All, not just some, all that the Lord says we will do. Look, none of us are ever going to be perfect, but we can't turn a blind eye to those areas in our life that give us the most difficult, uh, most difficulty and just give them a pass. Oh, the Lord doesn't care about that. That's my, my little weakness. That's my character flaw. That's my one little vice in life. We, we can't view obedience and sin in that way. Make it a matter of prayer. Ask God for help. Repent of it. Cry out to him, and he will give you that victory. And then the reality of God and Christ will become so vibrant. God and Christ will feel so close to you, almost as if you could reach out and touch him. The Lord wants you to know that he must be approached properly. There's a lot of different ways we could we could explain this truth. We're just going to restrict ourselves to the actual verses 9 through 13. But it's, it's quite common, especially in the United States, for probably the last 70 years, we want to do it my way. I'm not going to sing that, okay? But that expresses the way we view Christianity that it's all about me and the way I want to do things. It's all about me and the way I want church to be practiced. I'm going to see from here the basic principle that God must be approached properly. He has a right way to approach him, a right way to be in close relationship with him. And if we reject that, very often that's the reason why the reality of God and Christ is not as vibrant and real and close as it otherwise could be. And again, it begins with approaching the Lord properly with a desire to hear his word. You know, we just can't get away from God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that... What's the reason that God was going to draw close? so that the people may hear when I speak. 
Not the words, mere words of a man, but the words of God. We must have the desire to hear his word if we're ever going to have this vibrant, mountaintop experience with God and Christ. Approach the Lord properly with a consecrated and holy life. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. If we're tolerating sin in our life, there is no way we are going to be meeting with the Lord on the top of the mountain. We're going to be left in the wilderness that we've created for ourselves without the vibrant reality of God and Christ in our life. Consecration and sanctification, the washing of the garments there, we might, in New Testament theological terms, we would call that sanctification, being made more like Christ, living a holy life, can only approach if we're consecrated and sanctified. We can only draw near to him. Otherwise, there's this great gulf between us. Approach the Lord properly when and where he chooses. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. God wants us to be ready. We never know when the Lord will call us to the mountaintop to experience the vibrant reality of him in our life. Always be ready. The believer in Christ should always be ready to meet with God in Christ at any time. Approach the Lord properly by treating him as holy when you approach him. He had said in Exodus 3 to Moses, take off your sandals from your feet for the ground on which you tread is holy ground. That holiness, that holy ground that we meet the Lord on is one that there's bounds. He said, you shall set bounds for the people all around it. Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. There are boundaries that we must not cross if we are not consecrated, if we are not sanctified. This, this is not just an Old Testament truth. This is actually found in the New Testament as well, and we're all well aware of it. I'll just remind you. Every month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what verses are up on the screen before we partake of the bread and the cup? They're the words of 1 Corinthians. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, who forever drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For this reason... Many among you are weak and sick, and a number even sleep. That's Paul's common term for a believer who has died. He uses the word sleep. There is God's judgment. There is God's warning. Examine yourself before you partake. Notice it says, examine yourself, and so don't eat of the bread and drink of the cup. No, it's examine yourself Repent of the sin in your life and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's never any instruction to not, after examining yourself, to not eat of the bread or drink of the cup. 
Treat him as holy. He has set bounds. We cannot cross those bounds in unholiness. There will be consequences for treating him as unholy. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. That is with an arrow. He shall not live. There are consequences. And those Paul brings out as well, as I've already mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11, regarding the Lord's Supper. For this reason, many amongst you are weak and sick, and a number have even died, because they partake in an unworthy manner with unconfessed, unrepentant sin in their life. The Lord wants you to be morally clean and holy. The Lord wants you to be holy. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and washed their garments. It wasn't just instruction that the Lord gave on the mountain to Moses that could be ignored. He came down and then he actually instructed the people in consecrating themselves and washing their garments, a picture of sanctification. In the book of Revelation, what do the saints wear? White, clean linen. The righteousness of the saints in the book of Revelation. The clean garments are a picture of sanctification and righteousness in Scripture. The Lord wants you to be holy so that you're ready to meet with him. He said to be, he repeats to the people what the Lord had told him. Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now, look, in my Christian experience, generally speaking, women are much more devoted to God and Christ. They, they, they love God with a depth that I envy sometimes. Women are not unclean. What he's trying to bring out here, because he doesn't specify, don't go near a woman during her time of the month, which will come out in the Mosaic Law. He just says, don't go near a woman. Many of them were married. There was nothing wrong with being married. What the woman symbolizes here is a distraction and can be any distraction from a focus on God and Christ. Perhaps a verse from Ecclesiastes illustrates this the best. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why? When we're experiencing pleasure and abundance in life, we often don't see the need for God in Christ. We sometimes let our guard down. What he's telling them is, set aside the things of this life for three days. Focus on being as consecrated and holy as possible and focused on God. Don't let anything distract you. That's all he's saying by don't go near a woman. It's not just a woman, it's any distraction that would keep us from being ready to meet God when he comes down on the mountain. The Lord wants us to be ready. 
We have so many distractions in our life, don't we? I wonder, how many distractions do you and I have that might be keeping us from a deeper, more intimate relationship with God and Christ? We allow them to distract us, whether it be the television or some hobby that we have, and we allow all our free time to be taken up with these things when that free time might actually be the time that we need to be ready for the mountaintop experience with God and Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't let anything distract you from being ready to meet God and Christ on the mountaintop when he calls you up. The Lord does want to meet with you. He wants your meeting with him to be an awesome experience. It came about on the third day, just when God said it would be, that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. This was awesome. This frightened the people of Israel. They didn't want to go anywhere near the mountain. They didn't want to be that kingdom of priests. They told Moses, you go, and we'll just stay here. God wants your meeting with him to be awesome. It's not going to have literal thunder and lightning flashes or a thick cloud or the sound of a trumpet. Not for the believer in Christ, but it is going to be as awesome, as earth-shattering as this. In the depths of your soul, in your heart, you'll be thrilled Now, I I experienced this once in my life in a time of unexpected trial. And I, I still recall it. It was so supernatural, I knew immediately this had to be from God. And and it was just awesome. I, I wish I could have it every moment of every day why God chose that particular trial in my life to reveal himself in that way. And how did he reveal himself? Not with a trumpet sound, not with lightning flashes or a thick cloud or thunder. He revealed himself in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit controlled my heart filled and controlled my soul, and his fruit was put on display in a way that I have never seen before, that I wish I could be like that in a time of trial all the time. It was an awesome experience. The Lord wants your experience with him to be a fearful experience. Notice that this thunder, these lightning flashes, this thick cloud, the loud trumpet sound, what did it cause in all the people so that all the people, not just some of them, all the people in the camp trembled, trembled. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. We don't have to fear judgment any longer because perfect love has cast out fear, as John tells us. But the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. 
Sure, it's a Hebrew expression for obedience in the Old Testament. We've learned that before in messages at Grace Gospel Church. But Jesus Christ said, don't fear him who's able to destroy the body. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy the body and soul in hell. The fear of the Lord, the awesome presence of the Lord should cause us to tremble. Look what it did to the Apostle John. And that was a vision in Revelation chapter 1. When he beheld Christ in all his glory, he did a lot more than tremble. He fell like a dead man. And he couldn't move, and Christ had to raise him back up. It's going to be a fearful experience that'll fill you with awe, maybe even make you tremble. When you have that mountaintop experience, with God. The Lord wants you to be open to meet with him when and where he wants. Not only will he choose the time and the place, as we saw in verse 1, but he wants us to be open. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. The camp was a comfortable place. Their tent was there. Their food was there. Their provisions were there. Their families were there. Their friends were there. All of Israel was in the camp. God didn't meet with them where they were comfy and cozy. God met with them at the foot of the mountain, outside the camp. God can meet with you anywhere, but it may be outside of your comfort zone. None of us likes to be moved outside of our comfort zone. But that could very well be where you will have your mountaintop experience, meeting God and Christ in such a vibrant, real, awesome, and even fearful way if we go outside of our camp to meet with God. God wants you to recognize the signs that he is meeting with you. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. What are the signs? Well, I shared with you what the signs were for me in, in the most incredible, real, closest most vibrant experience I've had in 50 years with God and Christ. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what you will see, at least one aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One or more of those aspects or characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be present. And that's how you will know that you're meeting with God when you realize one or more of these in a way that is more abundant, more real, more vibrant, and just lifts your heart and soul and mind to God. The Lord wants communication with you as part of meeting with him. Communication is the key. It's not just to give us goosebumps and make us feel all good. Oh, wow, I met with God. 
That was awesome. That was cosmic. No. The sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him with a voice. Literally, the Hebrew says a voice, and that's why I translated it this way, a voice. Your translation may have he answered with thunder. No, the Hebrew text is the common word for voice. God answered him with a voice. This is not strange. Think about 1 Kings 19 and the prophet Elijah. In chapter 18, he did battle with 450 prophets of Baal. And he defeated them and put them all to death. This is then reported to Jezebel, the queen, evil Jezebel. And she says, let Elijah know that I am going to kill him. Elijah suffers a panic attack. It says he was afraid. It's right there in Scripture. He has this panic attack and he flees. And God's going to meet with him. How does God meet with Elijah? The first thing that happens is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. The whole mountain shook. But God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, a blazing hot fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then there was the sound of a quiet voice. And the Lord spoke to Elijah. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, but God answered with a voice. It's not these miraculous signs like the sound of the trumpet, an earthquake, a wind, a fire. God is not in those things. God is in his word and the words that he speaks. God is about communicating with actual words. The Lord wants your life to reach a new spiritual high from meeting with him. The Lord came down on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord initiates by coming down. John is very clear. It's not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. He says that in this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, to erase the injury our sins have done to God, the offense of our sins against God. God sent his son to be that satisfaction, that propitiation is the term that is used there. It just means satisfaction. It means paying the debt making right the wrong, the injury done to the other party. Christ did that through his death on the cross. You and I never could do that. God took that first step in sending his son, and then he calls us to be obedient to the gospel and believe in the one that he has sent, Jesus Christ. The Lord initiated here as well. He came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and then he calls Moses to the top. Moses never would have had that mountaintop experience had not God come down first, and then God called him, and then what did Moses do? Moses went up. If he didn't go up, if he didn't respond to the call of God, 
He never would have that mountaintop experience. If you're here this morning and you've never responded to the call of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin and cry out to God for salvation, would you do that? Would you climb that mountain, so to speak, by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross? The Lord wants you to understand more about him. Lord, Lord wants you to know that he wants you to serve him. The mountaintop experience is not just about giving us goosebumps and making us feel all warm and fuzzy. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people. Why? So that they do not break through to the Lord and gaze in simple curiosity. And many of them perish. God does not want people who are just curious to profess to know him, to claim to follow Christ, to tell others that, oh, I'm a Christian. God doesn't want curious gazers. He wants obedient servants, those who will go, those who will warn. God wants you to, you to know that he wants you to serve him in some way. The Lord wants you to know that this service must be holy service. He said, even the priests, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. The Lord wants holy service. It's not just doing something for the Lord. It's holy service. This is why the unbeliever truly cannot serve God in Christ because they are unholy in their standing before God. They are not the people of God, as Peter said. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Only then can you render holy service to him. The Lord wants you to remember, always remember that he is holy. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot Come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us. Moses remembers what the Lord had just told him, that the Lord is holy. You warned us, set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Always remember that the Lord is holy. We can never approach him in any way but in holiness, in consecration and sanctification. The Lord wants you to know that being obedient to him is required. The Lord said to him, go down, that's a command, and then come up again, another command, you and Aaron. And then he gives another command, do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. Obedience is required, it's not optional. And the Lord wants you to know that telling others about him is not optional as well. So Moses went down to the people and told them, God wants you and I to be messengers as well. If you want that mountaintop experience with God in Christ, I can tell you some of the most wonderful experiences I've had with God in Christ is when I'm sharing my faith, when I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Christ did on the cross with someone who is unsaved, who needs to hear it. I, 
my heart has just rejoiced afterwards. God and Christ have seemed so real to me, and they, and they will to you as well. If you go down from that mountaintop experience with him and share the reality of what God and Christ can do in the life of a person who trusts in him. Share the gospel with others. God wants us to know that it's not optional. Share it in some way, even if it's only give them a tract. We have a lot of excellent tracts out there in the track rack. Take some, share it with others, hand it to them, leave it at the table, How, however you do it. I know one man who goes on the... Uh, the walk down in Newport, and he puts tracks in little cracks in the rock. He might leave dozens, and then he'll walk back. Some of them might still be there, but he notices some are gone. Sometimes he sees them just laying on the ground, but some people take them and keep them. You never know that telling someone, even with just a tract, how it might change their life, not just their life, but their eternity, if they believe in the one that God has sent, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, how, how we thank you for wanting to meet with us. Who are we that you would ever condescend to come down to even the mountaintop? And why is it that you would call someone like me, someone like us, up to meet with you? You are so holy you are so perfect. You are so above us. Yet you desire to meet with us. And, uh, Lord, we are amazed. We are humbled that you would call us your special treasure. Oh, oh dear God, how grateful we are. Would you be pleased to help us every moment of every day to treasure you as our special treasure? to treasure your beloved son the way you treasure him, to treasure you the way you treasure us. Oh, Lord, be pleased by the power of your Holy Spirit to, in our heart, in our soul, to make you our special treasure above all else. No other pleasure, no other object, no other affection may it ever get in the way of loving you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. Be to us always, dear God, we pray, our special treasure, and be glorified by it, we pray. Amen.